Denise, it's so nice to see you today for our number nine presentation in the Cottage Meeting series. We only have three left. <laughs> and today is time to sew. So we've talked a lot about the pillars of liberty, um, ladies first, anchored in hope, all of these things that are building up to today. This isn't the crescendo, but it is a very important part of the series of the Cottage Meetings. So there are a couple of books that I'm going to share with you throughout this presentation. And the one main one is this one right here. And if you guys don't have it, it's Raising a Generation of Patriots. It's available as a PDF download and also the hardcover. And if you're like me, I hold it in my little hand. So I always order the, the actual um, the books. And this it's raising a generation of patriots, restoring restoring our garden of liberty. And the whole entire book, you can read it in like, I don't know, an hour. And it's not that many pages. Let's see, everybody has asked me, how many pages is it? 52 official, 51 official, official pages. And then it has a couple of things, resources afterwards. So it just basically takes the idea of a garden. And it is our message in a book. And I highly, highly, highly recommend you take the time to read the book. But we're going to just kind of talk a little bit about the whole garden allegory today. So I'm going to jump into the uh, presentation. We'll share the screen here. I did everything right. What do you know? I did. <laughs> okay, time to sow. What does that even mean? So when we are gardening, we are deciding what it is we're putting in the garden so that we know what we're going to get out of the garden. And there are specific things that our garden will need. Um, I'm gonna jump into this quote because this is kind of setting up the whole entire uh, presentation. Thomas Jefferson had such great quotes. In matters of style, he said, swim with the current. In matters of principle, stand like a rock. So whatever shoes you wanna wear, that's perfectly fine. But when it comes to the principles of freedom, we're going to stand like a rock. And if all those of us who are, are familiar with the, the wise man built his house upon the rock, foolish man built his house on the sand. So when we're sewing, we need to decide what is the foundation that we're going to build from. And that's what those pillars were about, the pillars of liberty, faith, virtue, and patriotism. And then we talked last week about capture the sunshine and all of the things that we're going to have on our walls, in our homes, the music that we're playing. It's the environment that we're setting. All of those things are determining what it is we will receive in the harvest. So what do we need when we are planting a garden, a planting a seed? We need soil, right? Good, solid soil. That foundation, that's faith. When we're, when we're promoting this love of liberty and virtue and helping our children understand what that means, it is that foundation of faith. That is our soil. The seeds that we're planting, that, those are the seeds of virtue and patriotism. We're going to plant those seeds so that that's what grows. But then our plant also needs some care. We need to have sun, the sunshine, what our children are exposed to. The, as I said, the music that we play in our homes, the pictures on the wall, the stories that we read, all of those are nurturing those seeds through sunlight. And we need to have sunlight. Rain. 
We need to be able to have rain on the plant. So what is the rain when we're nurturing a love of liberty in our home, in the hearts of our children? It is all of those experiences that we sprinkle onto them. Reminders of what these things mean. Going back again to the stories that we tell, the music that we play, the experiences that they have, all of those things are tying in to um, that, that constant nurturing of the seed. There's another part that we need, and that is weeding the plants. We have to be able to weed the plants. <laughs> so when I planted a garden years ago, we planted all, all of these amazing, beautiful tomatoes, and the tomatoes ran rampant in our garden. I mean, they were everywhere. I, I think I were planted tomatoes <laughs> and there are so many tomatoes that they overran all of the cucumbers there was another year where i planted cucumbers and melons right beside each other and we got what our children affectionately refer to as the melon bumper crop year so we didn't know that they were going to cross pollinate and then of course there are the years where I'm traveling. I don't have time to weed the garden. And I come home and what do I have is a bunch of weeds choking my plants. So we need to make sure that we are cultivating this foundation of faith, planting seeds of virtue and patriotism, creating this environment of sunshine, sprinkling these things on our children's hearts and minds. But we also have to purge from the negative influences, the things that they are exposed to in the world. And I cannot say this enough. We have to be at least as much of an influence in our children's lives as the world is. So when our children are exposed to things like transgender indoctrination or so comprehensive sex education, we need to be at the ready to be able to talk to them about these things. And if we are not having these conversations with our children, someone else is. So we've created a whole bunch of books on our website to be able to help with weeding the plants. But there's a very powerful ingredient that most people don't think of when you're weeding the plants and sprinkling with the water. It's like taking a watering can and filling our children's minds and hearts with the idea of manners and decency and civility. We have the ability to do that. So if you guys have the Cottage Meeting Resource Guide on page 216, you are going to see this. And this is all whole list of great books that help children learn good manners and good behavior and they're easy simple little reads most of them I think if not all of them are picture books and I'm just going to tell you that no matter what anybody says when you look at the at the authors or the publishers and they say you know what age level is it for picture book there is no age I remember my children um when I was reading to the younger children all of my teenagers standing behind me listening to the books and I loved them as much as they did I mean one of my favorite books is Randy's Dandelions and every one of my children my grandchildren they've all heard it because I love the book so picture books they're they're timeless and they're ageless and then when you start talking about you know what age level then it's like well can a three-year-old read yet? Then that's an age level. It's not It's not really an age level as much as it is, are they ready to comprehend it and can they read it? So read it to them. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia, 
I've been reading those books over and over and over again to my kids. One of my favorite ones is the Dawn Treader because it has this boy who behaves very badly, turns into a dragon, is miserable, and he ends up turning into a very nice boy <laughs> at, the, at the end of the story. The Horse and His Boy, that's another one. All of the Chronicles of Narnia are great books that you can read to your children at all ages and they'll love them. And I think I have read them with my family and various different stages through their lives. I have eight and they're spread out. So we've done it a few times. Uh, I think I have read the full volume of Chronicles of Narnia at least nine times. And that doesn't include when I read them by myself twice before I had children. So it, these are like classic books that we can read over and over again and help children understand what good looks like, what manners look like, what bad behavior looks like by showing it from someone else's experience in a story so that they don't have to necessarily experience it themselves, but they can learn from others. Okay. So those are all the things that are going to lead us into uh, creating this garden of liberty that's going to help us have the harvest that we want. And the harvest that we want is one that bears the fruits that we planted. Okay. So if you plant cucumber seeds, you are not going to get tomatoes. If you plant peach seeds you're not going to get broccoli <laughs> so it's a simple concept but when you relate it to what you're putting in your children's hearts you're not going to get good solid citizens children who love liberty and and are willing to pay the price for that liberty if we've been talking about socialism and communism and how everybody should get a trophy and um everybody should share everything and you know what you don't have to share everything it is okay. When our children had birthdays, we would say, you know, of course it's nice to share, but they don't have to share. This is this is their toy. They just got it. If they want to share it, that's fine. And then we encourage the children, you know, it's okay to share, but you don't have to. This belongs to you and you want to take care of it. This is one of the, the stories that um, I remember when I was a child, uh, <laughs> I had a doll. Oh, here's our cucumbers and our tomatoes. You cannot have... <laughs> Reap what you sow. That's my my mom say that all the time. You reap what you sow. Yeah. Okay. So when I was a little girl, I was eight years old. And I remember sitting in my friend's house and um, we lived in an apartment with, you know, three bedroom apartments. It's actually a two bedroom apartment with an office. And my sister slept in there and it wasn't a big place, but you know, it was perfectly fine. And we didn't know we didn't have that much money. We just had a great time playing with all the kids in the, in the apartment complex. It was a wonderful time, but we didn't have a lot of money. And uh, I was sitting at my friend's house who seemed to have an abundance of money. And they had this catalog. I think it was a Sears catalog, some gimbals or something. I don't know. And I'm sitting there looking at it was the Christmas catalog. And it had all of these toys in it. And I went straight to the baby dolls and I was looking at all the baby dolls and I wanted a specific baby doll because when I went to my great grandma's house, I had this baby doll called Betsy and she was a very old and she had a clay head and she had rubber arms and legs and a nice cushy body. And she just fit just right. I just loved that doll. And one day I showed up my, at my great grandma's house and Betsy was gone. After years of playing with Betsy, she was gone and she would never tell me what actually happened to her. But I found out years later that Betsy's head had cracked open too many times and she threw her away. I was devastated and I was 17 years old. So I had uh, this love of this, this specific kind of baby. 
So I'm sitting there looking at this catalog. I find this baby doll, like two or three of them that look a lot like Betsy. They don't have clay heads, but they have the, the pudgy hands and the soft body and a cute little uh, crocheted hat and outfit. Just loved that baby doll. And so I told my, I asked my friend if I could pull the page out and she was like, sure, I don't care. So I pulled it out. I took it home and I told my mom and dad, I want this baby. This is what I want for Christmas more than anything in the world. I want a baby doll just like this. Never knew if I was going to get it. But on Christmas day, when I opened the box, the baby doll was there. I couldn't believe it. I absolutely loved this doll. I was so grateful for my parents. It meant so much to me. And I took care of her. I had her for a whole three and a half months. And it was wonderful. One day I came home from school and I couldn't find her anywhere. And I asked my mom, where could she be? After all this investigation, it turned out that my mom let my youngest sister, I forgive her, take her to the park and she never came back. My parents couldn't afford to go get another doll. You wouldn't think that at 57 years old, this is something that still traumatizes me, but I still remember that doll. <laughs> so when we're teaching children that when they need to share with everything, then what we're teaching them is it doesn't matter if they don't take care of it. You just have to share that. You know what that teaches? That teaches the idea of everybody should have whatever they want. If you can't afford it, get a credit card and you can run up the credit card bill. If if you someone else has it, you should have it because they shouldn't be the only ones that have it. This is what we're teaching our children when we do not allow them to own things. There's another really, really hard lesson that still traumatizes me. My oldest son, he was um, two and a half yeah, two and a half years old. And we had set up an allowance system and he had saved his money and we went to the store so that he and his little sister, she was a baby, so she really wasn't into anything, but so that he could go and spend his money. And he had $7. And when we got to the store, I said, well, why don't you let me hold it? So while you're going and looking for, you know, what you would like to purchase, I, I'm keeping it safe. No, no, no. He insisted he had to hold it. Uh, honey, why don't you let me hold them? Hold it. Cause you know, if you lose the money, then it's gone. There's, there's no more money. <laughs> it's just, just gone. And then you won't be able to buy anything. He was still insistent. I want to hold my money. I'm like, okay, well at least put it in your pocket. Nope. I want to hold it. I'm like, okay. So we walked up and down the aisles until he finally could find it. He spent a lot of time he looked at the prices. He looked at what he was getting for them, for the value. I mean, he spent a lot of time for a two and a half year old deciding what he was going to buy. He finally chose what he wanted. We went up to the cash register to make our purchase and he didn't have his money. He looked all through his pocket. He, we looked at everywhere and we couldn't find it. And I looked at my husband and he knew exactly from the pain on my face. He knew exactly what I was thinking. And he said, no. We're not going to buy it for him. We're not going to do it. Another traumatizing thing that still at 57 years old, <laughs> that's a deep, deep memory for me. But my son is now 37 years old and he will tell you to this day, the reason I am 
as good with my money and responsible as I am is because when I was two and a half years old, we had to walk out of that store with that little boy crying. Killed me. We walked out. And he didn't get to buy anything. We had to leave it there. The next time we went, and every time after that, he knew where his money was. He had it in a wallet. It was either in his pocket or it was in my purse. And he made sure that he always had it. These are hard lessons that we teach our children. But they're experiences that they need to have so that we are nurturing the values and principles that we want them to be able to develop so that they can become the best people that they can be. We're 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 deciding that we're creating that these children are, are, are clay that we're molding. And, and that's why we have to protect them from the world, but we also have to help them be able to stand up in the world because we won't always be there. We have to be able to empower them. We would never send our children out on a cold day. I probably have said this before, but we'd never send them out on a cold winter day without a coat and hat and gloves. So why would we send them out to the cold world without having that foundation that's going to help them to be able to stand strong when they so they can recognize evil and stand for good, have the courage to do what's right when everyone else is doing what's wrong. It's tough, but it's doable. And it's all about what we are teaching and nurturing and the courage that we have to do what's right ourselves because it is not always easy. And it certainly wasn't for me. So, um, Dwight Eisenhower has a great quote. Freedom has its life in the hearts, the actions, the spirit of men. And so it must be daily earned and refreshed, else like a flower cut from its life-giving roots, it will wither and die. I cannot say enough about this book. Again, you can read this book in an hour. You will learn um, how we can plant this garden by relating the garden allegory with nurturing these things in our home and... Um, it, it will be a valuable lesson. There's uh, something that I, um, a story that I read years ago about GIGO. Have you guys ever heard of GIGO? <laughs> it stands for garbage in and garbage out. And when computers started to be developed, GIGO was the phrase that, that they always uh, talked about because whatever you program into the computer is what you're going to get out of the computer, just like with the garden. If you're going to plant tomato seeds, you're going to get tomatoes, not cucumbers. And you want to make sure that you're not putting melons and cucumbers together because melon bumpers don't really taste that good. So we, we were curious though. We did eat them just to find out they're not good. So garbage in and garbage out, whatever you are putting into your minds and hearts, that is what's coming out. So we need to consider when we're popping our children in front of a television show, what is it that that show is going to be teaching them? We can, we can absolutely rely on that, that boob tube babysitter when we need it. But, um, the television is uh, supposed to be a support for those values, just like everything else is just putting them in front of the television, putting them in front of the computer, handing them a phone. You're, you're putting some dangerous equipment into their hearts and into their, into their hands that their hearts and minds are going to be able to be subject to. And we need to be really careful about what we put in. It's also how we're communicating with them. The things that we say, the way that we help them talk to each other, all of those things matter when you're putting something in their minds and hearts. It's all going to come out. 
Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard the story about the little girl who was sitting there playing with her Barbie dolls and the, the Barbie doll, Ken and Barbie were sitting there constantly fighting, constantly fighting and telling the kids to get out of the room. And the mother was like, I need to rethink the way I'm interacting with my family. Um, I heard that story a long time ago and I thought I should really, yeah, pay attention to what I'm saying and how I'm, because they'll watch your example. As my mom said, the example you set is the example you get. Um, she always said that when we were growing up, we reap what you sow, the example you set. Yeah. My mom's idioms constantly ring through my head and my children, they have been passed down to them. Um, CE Sergeant said, if your boys wrangle and contend at home, if they cannot discuss with dignity, the little questions that arise in their daily intercourse with one another, be sure that they will not honor the nation when they take their places in Senate halls to discuss the great problems that confront civilization. I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch the manners and civility video. If you did not, please do. This is great how it ties in manners and civility with, with freedom and, um, and really our civic responsibility. I had uh, pulled some of my favorite quotes on manners. Respect for ourselves guides our morals. Respect for others guides our manners. I, I love this quote. And as we talk about table talk later, these are the kind of quotes that you want to, you know, put at the table and you just say the quote and let the kids figure out, you know, well, let's talk about this. Respect for ourselves guides our morals. Respect for others guides our manners. Both of these are important parts of, of developing that strong moral character. Tommy Lee Jones said, kindness and politeness are not overrated at all. They are, in fact, underused. And Clarence Thomas, Justice Clarence Thomas said, good manners will open doors that the best education cannot. If you guys have, have ever read the, the book, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, that book immediately came to my mind when I read that quote by Clarence Thomas. Uh, it's a very good book. It has sold millions and millions of copies. It was written in the 1930s and it truly is how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> um, and you can get it on audiobook too. Abraham Lincoln, when he went into the White House, was a very different man by the time um, he he was martyred. He was he was murdered. Um, he developed a strong character from his mother, from the the experiences in his life, the trials that he had, and he wanted to be the kind of person that his country would be proud of. And that's when he said this quote. I like to see a man proud of the place in which he lives. I like to see a man live so that his place will be proud of him. One of the things I always, always told my kids when um, they were growing up is that you wear several names. And when you walk out the door, people are going to recognize you for those names. They're going to recognize you as a Christian. They're going to recognize my boys as scouts. They're going to recognize my daughters as um, women of, 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 of Christ, followers of Christ. They're they're going to recognize the Fletcher name. You're wearing the Fletcher name when we were homeschooling. I was like, everything that you do is going to now reflect on every homeschooler out there, every Christian out there, every Fletcher out there. And and I said that over and over again. And and then my mom, my mom told me when I was young, she said, if you whatever you are doing, if you can't do it with me sitting in the room, then you shouldn't be doing it. And I I've that has definitely been an influence on my on my life. And I remember 
one day we had um, we had a, a foreign exchange student who we had in our home and we had all the foreign exchange students were getting together in our community uh, from our high school and them and, and their, the kids that were hosting them were all gonna go to see, uh, what was it called? Oh, shoot, Flashdance. They're all gonna go see Flashdance. Well, I wanted to see Flashdance, it looked really cool, but it was rated R. And my mother told me before I left, she said, you are not to see that rated R film. If you're, um, if the the um, exchange student wants to go see that, then she can go with the other kids, but you're not to go see that. It's rated R. And I will ask you when you get home, what movie you saw. <laughs> so when I went to the movies, I saw Tootsie <laughs> and my friend went and saw Flashdance. And when I came home I could clearly with a clear conscience tell my mother I saw Tootsie I can tell you all about the movie <laughs> and she's like I'll even know and and I could tell that she trusted me that she was building that trust in me but she set the expectation and she let me know that she was going to ask I would have to report and that that weighed heavy on me so when we are um talking to uh, each other about you know parenting and how do we raise these kids I, I'm going to tell you that um, my youngest daughter is adopted and I, I mean, she, she may as well have come from my body. <laughs> she, I love her. She is a part of my heart and my soul. I was actually delivered her in the delivery room. That was kind of cool. Um, she loves her birth story because it's unique. And she always tells all her siblings, yeah, well, mom and dad got stuck with you, but they chose me. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so uh, um, from the time she was born, we let her know that she was adopted because we didn't ever want that to be a big surprise. You know, and we had an adoption book, you know, here's, here's what, when you came to us and here's the whole story. And she always had this special story. And I always felt like we were really close and I never had this problem with my other kids. And I think part of it is because boys don't behave the same emotional way that girls do. And Cassie was, well, nearly perfect in every way. I'm sorry. She just was, she'll tell you otherwise, but she was a great daughter to have. <laughs> she didn't have any of those hormone issues. She didn't jump out of the window at night. She didn't do any of the things that I did when I was a kid. I just thought God blessed me with that one. And then along comes Amber. <laughs> and when Amber was, I think around nine years old, she started to become very um, mean. <laughs> she was very abrupt. Um, she even said things like, like, I hate you. I hate you. When she would get mad, none of my children ever said that to me. And I mean, it was devastating. And I just, it, it literally ripped me apart. And I could not understand what, what am I doing wrong? What can I do better? Uh, this, is it because she's adopted? <laughs> Did I screw up somewhere? You know, I couldn't, I just didn't know. And one day she just, just threw this tantrum and I just, I just fell apart. And I said, Amber, why do you hate me so much? And she immediately turned around and started crying. And she said, mommy, I don't hate you. Why do you think that? I don't know. You tell me three times a day. <laughs> and right after that, I was doing a lot of praying during that time. And right after that, I went to a homeschool conference where I met a woman named Nicolene Peck. 
and she is a parenting guru, a mom mentor extraordinaire. She has been all over the world mentoring uh, parents. She was on a TV show. Um, they had her highlighted on a TV show about the um, the strictest parents or whatever. And she has really solid um, ideas and principles and things to teach her kids. But one of the things that just really struck me is she said, children don't know how to communicate. Our job is to teach them how to communicate. They don't know how to deal with pressure. They don't know how to deal with disappointment. They don't know how to deal with the world. It's our responsibility to help navigate them through that. So that they can figure out how to do that. And they watch us. They watch us a lot. Like, okay, well, that's how you handle that. Well, then that's how I'm going to handle that. And then we're like, what is like this? <laughs> and so one of the things that I learned, incredible, valuable lesson, there is nothing closer to us than being a mother. Our children, our husbands, those are the closest things to us, being a wife and a mother. I tell people all the time, the world can say whatever they want, but one of my kids or my husband is disappointed in me and I collapse in a corner. <laughs> that means the world to me. Well, what we do is we're taking the thing that, that is, has, is most personal to us and we're taking it personally. It's a hard thing to separate. But as parents, if, we're, if our job is to help these kids understand what good manners are, how to communicate, how to be able to navigate through the problems that you're facing in, in any given moment from he took my doll to he pulled my hair to he's running out in the street when is it the time to come and tell mom and when is it the time to figure it out yourself and all of those things we have to be able to to help them know how to do that if we're taking it personally the things that they say and the things that they do when they're trying to learn how to communicate then we're going to do everything differently our eyes are not going to see clearly we're going to become emotional. We're going to, the fight or flight's going to kick in and we're going to yell or fight back. And then that's not going to go anywhere. It will not go well. Promise you that one. So once I realized that it changed everything, everything. Then suddenly when Amber was like, I hate you. And I'm like, well, the message that I'm receiving is that you're very angry at me right now. You're saying that you hate me, but I know you don't. So help me understand what it is the problem is. And then we could communicate because I was on the outside looking in instead of on the inside being sucked into this emotional vacuum. It changed everything. And the the tools that Nicolene Peck provides, the um I I mean it's, it's you know how to count to 10 and uh, just all kinds of different things that um, kids wouldn't know otherwise. I mean, she has all these incredible books. Uh, I think this is my favorite right here. Um, Patty takes the stage, but she, you can go on, on, she's got a YouTube channel. She's got a website and you can see all of the videos. I, I mean, I cannot say enough about Nicolene Peck. She is absolutely phenomenal. She saved my relationship with my daughter. And now there's nothing she can do or say that rattles me. I just kind of roll my eyes, love her to death and help her navigate through. And it's funny because the other day she was talking to me and my husband and she goes, you know what? I'm a good person. Ugh, who knew? <laughs> we just thought that was pretty funny. Uh, okay. 
So how can we build this and nurture these uh, relationships with our children? We need to be able to find things that interest them that we can tolerate, okay? You don't have to have the same interests with your children, but you need to be able to be present in their lives. We all need to be present in our children's lives and we need to find things that they like to do even if we don't like to do them, will we tolerate them? And at what level can we tolerate them so that they think we're loving it and we're spending time with them? <laughs> it's, it's all master manipulation. Okay, but there are things that, that we are going to like to share with our children. Okay, so here are just some, some ideas. There's a, uh, in the um, Cottage Meeting Resource Guide on page 217, there's an article called Family, It's About Time. I could tell you that if I asked my children, what is the greatest memory they have? It's, it's the surface project that we did and it's the castle park and it's the time that we went on the hike on, there's a place in Sacramento called Mormon rocks. I'm not sure why maybe the Mormon pioneers went through there, but it's this big, big uh, park called Mormon rocks. And it's, and you can, you can climb on all of these, um, these rock faces all the way up. And they remember that they were so little. I mean, my oldest one was seven years old. And they still remember that. They'll say, oh, yeah, Mormon rocks. What do you remember about that? They remember that we had a cocker spaniel who was who was chasing us all up the, the, the mountain. And she got behind because she was looking for something. We went up to this one, this one rock crevice where you went around the turn to go up to the next one. She totally missed that. She just went flying up over that hill and up over that cliff 20 feet down. And my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, this is not going to go well. And all these people were coming and looking, oh my gosh, the dog, the dog. And we go over there and she sits there and she twitches a little bit. She gets up, she shakes it off and she comes right back up the mountain. And we're like, my husband was like, I will never call that dog a rat again. My children remember this. <laughs> it was it was just something fun that we did together. The castle park, everywhere we go, they're like, do they have a wooden castle park there? They used to go, we used to go to the wooden castle park and, and um, the several areas where we lived, they had one. And they would play Vikings and storms troopers and all kinds of stuff and my husband and I would just sit there and, and you know watch them but we'd also get up there sometimes and, and and we'd play characters with them we used to like to dress up our 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 family's always been um enjoyed dressing up we did a whole Star Wars theme one year at um at a party we I mean we just we just do things like that together that seem simple but they remember them so in in the um in the article um family it's about time we listed some of the ideas so these are just some of the ideas that we've done. Visit a park together. Um, go on a liberty trip to a place in your area. We talked about liberty trips when, when uh, in one of the previous presentations on patriotism. We have a whole entire map on the website where you can click a place in your own backyard, in your own neighborhood, your own state. And go and visit. Do a day trip with a picnic. Um, tell the story of the place where you're at or discover it together. All of these places have some kind of write-up about what happened there, why the monuments there, why the history uh, is recognized. Pizza movie night. This is something that we do every single Friday night. And uh, sometimes we go out for pizza. Most of the time we stay in for pizza. And every once in a while we'll do something different and the kids will be like, but it's pizza movie night. <laughs> it's just become that much of a tradition. And we all pick, you know, what movie are we going to watch tonight? And as the kids you got older, they became more mature movies. But when we had, you know, younger kids and little kids, and we'd say, okay, two movies, we're going to watch one for little kids, and watch one for the older kids. Um, game night, our kids 
are so connected. My husband has always loved board games and we have actually a whole entire game room in our home. And it it looks like a library. It has so many games in it. So um, they would go and and pick the the game that they wanted to play. And sometimes it's, it's a board game. Um, sometimes it's a video game, but it's usually board games. So they love board games, and they all collect them. And we've played pretty much all of them at least once. Some of them several times. My favorite is Splendor. If you've ever seen that that game great fun game to play and they have one for two people you can play it for two people or I think it's up to six people anyway great fun fun games and they help you think because you have to strategize so that's a you know bonus um go on a hike together there are plenty of places where you can just go on a walk I highly recommend that when you come out of the hike and you're walking through the parking lot that you make sure that you have a good footing before you turn around and don't break your foot like I did but going on hikes, great. Uh, attend a concert or sporting event together, especially if your kids are in sports. You know, you don't have to go to every game, but, um, you know, take on the whole family one night for a game. Cheer them on. Be a, be a part of that. I, I, I can tell you when I was growing up, um, my parents both worked. They were they were very they were very busy and they had no interest in coming to my games or activities. And everybody else's families were always there. And it just made me so sad. And I remember the times when they were able to come there was a, a game I was I was on the drill team and we cheered with the cheerleaders and um I was there at this game and I turned around and there was my mom and dad and in, in the crowd and I gave my heart I mean 100% at that event um they came to a play that I was in and um I sang my heart out <laughs> and uh, I just remember those things. I, I wanted them to be proud of me. I wanted them to, 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 to see that I was accomplishing something that matters to our kids. We should be, we should be present at those events for them. Plan a family service project. I cannot say enough about those family service projects are awesome. Family dinner time. Ronald Reagan said all great change in America begins at the dinner table. That's why we wrote this book, a table talk sampler. And uh, one of the things that um, that we've been promoting ever since the organization was founded was the importance of family dinner time. All the principles, the values, those things that were taught to our in to our children in in the early days of our country, they happened around the dinner table. That's when they pulled out the Bible. That's when they um, talked about their day. They they talked about the Constitution. What happened at the Constitutional Convention? I, I mean, they. They all ate together. They prepared together. They ate together. They cleaned up together. And it was that time that you knew they could all be all be together because, you know, they, they, a lot of them are farmers. They're working all day long. They're up way early in the morning. The only time that you could really count on that everybody would be at the same place at the same time was at dinner. And mama spent all day making sure that she had dinner ready. So... We had to live in a different time, right? <laughs> the idea of family dinner hour, it, it shouldn't be stressful. And we created this sampler. It's 31 days of stories, quotes, and questions to spark conversation at the family dinner table. There's also some scriptures in there. They're just things that 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 people, the kids can talk about, like the quotes that I mentioned before about manners. Um, one of the questions, uh, as an example, is what is the difference between a right and a privilege? Simple, simple question that can start a really good conversation. Uh, prepare for the rain is a great story about a farmer 
who planted his potatoes and prepared his fields even when there was no rain why would he do that um, and the whole entire time he was praying so do you have the faith that god's going to provide the rain plant your garden because the rain's going to come right so um these are just simple little things that uh we we teach okay but but how do you do this <laughs> when everybody's running from one place to another and you've got that question, that question that everybody can't stand the what's for dinner. And then they, you tell the kids what's for dinner. And the first thing you hear is, Oh yeah. Okay. I have some tricks of the trade. I, my sister, she told her kids, you are not allowed to ask what's for dinner because she, that was how she handled it. I don't want to hear the yuck. So I just tell them, don't ask me what's for dinner. When you sit down at the table, you know, when you're going to eat it, you're going to like it. I'm like, well, okay, we, we could do it that way. But I decided um, that there was a more uh, happy way <laughs> to get to, to get to where we wanted so I created a menu. First of all, I created a, a two-week menu every week. Every, every two weeks, I had a menu created. And I would have it up on the wall so they knew exactly what we were going to have. But I was also flexible. I did that for two reasons. One, if you know what you're going to prepare, you know what you have to buy to be able to prepare it. And so when I would go grocery shopping, I was able to spend less money and be more efficient in my shopping on a tight budget, you know, tight military budget, because uh, we had eight kids to feed, and my husband and I, and eight, uh, six of those eight children were boys. Now, any of you that have boys know what I'm talking about. But I mean, I, I cooked for an army, <laughs> because those boys can eat. And so we would have the, the menu planned. We'd have the grocery list all together and I'd go get the groceries. I come back and all oh, help put it away. I knew exactly what I had, but if something happened, you know, there was an activity that came up. I just switched the things on the, on the menu and I just changed the days or write an arrow so that, so that they knew, but I had a very strict solid rule. Yuck was outlawed. Yuck in any configuration of that word was absolutely outlawed. And if they said yuck, they were going to get liver and spinach, even though I hated liver for dinner. And I had liver and spinach ready just in case, because don't tell your kids you're going to do something if you don't have the follow through. I learned that from, from a friend years ago. Um, she brought her daughter over to my house and she said, she was six years old. And she said, uh, I need to go out shopping. And I was going to take my kids, my children with me, but my daughter did not clean her room. And I told her if she did not clean her room, she would not be able to come with me. Um, if I tell her that, then that I need to follow through with that. If she doesn't clean her room, would you be willing to watch my daughter while we go shopping? And she had her daughter standing right there with her. And I said, yes, I will. You should have seen that girl's eyes light up. She never came over. Yes, she got her room clean. So we have to make sure that we have follow through because our children are seeing that too. And I'm telling you, they are good. And they will weasel in there in any way they can to work the system. <laughs> so let's make sure we have a solid, tight system. Be flexible, but have a system that they that they understand and can work with. My children never said yuck because they did not want liver and spinach. Because I made liver and spinach one time for each one of them. Had them taste a bite of liver, taste a bite of that canned nasty spinach. <laughs> yeah, never said it again. Another issue was vegetables. I told my husband when we got married, you will never 
ever let your children, our children know that you didn't eat your vegetables. I don't care if you eat them. I don't care what you do with them. I don't care if you hide them in your pocket. I don't care what you do with them, but they will think that you ate your vegetables or I will never cook again. My children to this day are convinced that he ate all his vegetables. And you know what? Most of the time he did. <laughs> so we can just take these simple little things. Where? Where do we have family dinner hour and everything is going crazy? Well, wherever we need to. If there's an activity and you're you got to take the kids to a soccer game, stop at McDonald's and eat in the in the in the bleachers while you're sitting there watching the game. Um, you're not always going to be able to sit down and have dinner together but if it's the, if that's the standard and the exception is that you don't then it will work and they will they will come to love that time together how do you do it however it works at the time like i said you got to stop at mcdonald's you got to go to kfc to bring dinner home that night because it was a crazy day great um throw something in the crock pot in the morning because you know you're going to be gone all day it's just a little bit of planning but it's a whole lot less stress when dinner time comes around because that four o'clock hour and everybody's like what's for dinner and you're like i don't have a freaking clue you're stressing yourself out un unnecessarily at least do a week menu so that you have a plan you know at four o'clock exactly what you're having and you go start doing it or five o'clock whenever you're making whenever you're making dinner okay another thing that we did um i'm gonna write some notes down here because you're probably tired of seeing this picture and <laughs> So we have something called keepers and losers. So when my husband and I got married, um, <clears throat> I I love to cook. It it actually makes me sad when I'm gone because I'm I'm eating out a lot or we're uh, I do I do cook when we're staying at an Airbnb, but I'm I miss cooking. And when I come home, I want to slide in and you know immediately start cooking. And I miss it all the more because I don't get to do it as much. Well, when I was, when I was first married, it was like, this is, I want to take care of my husband. I want to take care of my family. And so as I was, you know, making different meals, I could tell that there were things that he didn't really like, but he would eat them anyway, because he didn't want me to stop cooking. <laughs> so um, we came up with a system because I don't want to waste my time making food that he doesn't like. If he likes something and I don't, then I'm not going to have it in the menu as often as I would if I liked it, but I'll make sure it cycles through the menu. So I told him, I said, okay, we're going to have keepers and losers. There is no right or wrong. There's no bad answer. This just helps me to know what to put on the menu. So after a meal, you can say it's keeper or loser. I don't like it or I like it. Keep it on the, keep it cycling through the menu or loser. Yeah. I don't really like it. Or I could go either way. <laughs> and so when it was a keeper and I told him, I said, Hey, if you say loser, it doesn't mean it's never going to appear on the menu again. If I like it, it just won't appear as often. And it made our lives so much better because we took the time to have this conversation together and we had a system as to how we could make this work. He did something is the very first time that, that I cooked him dinner. He got up from the table. He took his dishes into the kitchen and he started washing the dishes. And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm cleaning up. And I'm like, well, that's my job. And he goes, why you cooked? And I was like, well, that's a whole new idea. <laughs> so 
um, it, it all and from that time forward, it always became a family thing. And every time he would get up from the table, he said the same thing. And the children heard it for 36 years. Thank you for the delicious meal. And he got up and all the kids followed him in and everybody cleaned up. You know, we didn't shove someone in the kitchen and say, it's your turn for dishes tonight. We did that at the beginning because that's what my kids did. And oh, that's what I did. My, my parents did when I was a kid. You know, you've got dishes day, you're in there. And I remember being in there for hours. So disinterested in doing the dishes, but mom cooked, you know. So it was my husband that said, why are we torturing somebody? We all want to be able to have time together. So if we all go in together, it'll all be done faster. And then we can all enjoy the evening together. So that's what we started doing game changer and we have done that ever since and now the kids are older and they have kids and the whole brood comes in and we live like the waltons right now and the whole brood comes in and they're all helping clean up even the little ones uh there's something that we started a while back to help um to to help reinforce the values and principles uh manners rules <laughs> that we were teaching our children so one thing that has always bothered me is the complete lack of respect for other people in leaving your stuff laying around. You get something out, put it away. It's not that big a deal. You walk into the house, there's the closet right there. Hang up your coat. Why are you dropping it on the floor? There's a shoe shelf right there. Put your shoes there. And it just drove me crazy. And so I, I, Again, one day I had this, you know, brilliant on my knees. It was from the Lord. Can I just say, he knows our children more than we do. And he wants us to succeed even more than we do. So you get on your knees and you ask the Lord, I got this kid who's driving me crazy. You know him better than I do. Can you help me out here? He'll answer you. I promise he will. He'll give you, ideas will pop in your head and you go, oh, that's a brilliant idea. Oh, oh that was an answer to a prayer. So my prayer was, how do I get my kids to stop and there's stuff everywhere so we came up with something god put in my heart the kudo box so what we i, I did is i i got it was a it was a bamboo box that i just had in the basement i pulled it upstairs and i said this is the kudo box and all throughout the week every time i see something laying around in the house i'm going to pick it up and i'm going to put it in the kudo box and it will stay there held hostage until sunday and Sunday evening, we are going to have a kudo auction and you can buy the things back out of the auction box. Well, how do we get, what are kudos and how do we get those? Interesting that you would ask that question. So I went to the store and I got these colored popsicle sticks, two packages of them. And I put them in a container and then each one of them had a little jar that had their name on them. I said, that's how you're going to earn kudos. When you make your bed, when you do your chores, when you give service to someone else, when you uh, handle a situation with good behavior, when you're kind and courteous. And, and it started to get to the point where like, well, can I get a kudo for that? And, and I was like, well, we don't necessarily get kudos for everything, but I think this definitely deserves a kudo, but they would get it for their, for the chores that they had. They would get these kudos throughout the week. It worked amazingly. Well, one day, Amber, my youngest daughter, she left out her brand new Game Boy and that Game Boy went in the kudo box and that girl stressed 
for the whole entire week because she just knew that her brothers were going to buy her Game Boy with their kudos. And they were all, I have never seen three kids work so hard. <laughs> they were, what can I do for kudos? What can I do for kudos? And and within two kudos, it, it was a two kudo difference, but Amber was able to get her Game Boy back. And I'm telling you, that kudo box made such a difference. And now we're doing it with our grandchildren and they get to do the kudo box and we would take them away. Oh, that, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take the kudo away because I had to tell you three times to do that job. So you're going to lose, not only you're not going to earn a kudo, but you're going to lose one. Uh, we don't hit people. I'm going to have to, you, gotta, you can choose. You want a timeout? You want to lose two kudos. I'll take the timeout. Okay, fine. <laughs> so we need to give them opportunities to succeed. They can be taught. They will learn, but we have to set an atmosphere of learning. Uh, there's another great lady that um, that we talk about uh, all the time, and she's uh, uh, promoted in our Cottage Meeting Resource Guide, and her name is, I don't remember her name, we just, she's called the Food Nanny, and she has this great book on easy family meals that you can that you can prepare how to how to buy for it how to preserve it so you know do you buy tomatoes the day that you're doing it can can how do you buy tomatoes that are going to wait until thursday if it's monday i mean she just it's a great 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 book um in the in the um resource guide there's a story uh, called nobility of a boy and that same story is on day five in the table talk sampler this has been one of the favorite stories that we've read to our children and we read them at the dinner table and then we talk about it. And this is one that really, it touched me and has lingered in my heart as, and, as well as theirs. It is a story adapted. Um, it's, a, it's adapted from a story told by Margaret Eggleston in her book, The Use of the Story in Religious Education. And I wouldn't just say religious education, I would say in life education, it's a great book. It's old. It was, again, written in the late 1800s, early 1900s, in that golden age of literature, but it's a treasure. So here's the story. There was once a young boy named David who lived in New York City in the early 1900s. He worked as an errand boy at a bank near his home. His job was very important to the family, and his father had recently passed away, and he had a mother and sister at home who were ill and could not walk. David was the only one left to care for his mother and sister, and he was the sole support for them. It took every cent he could possibly earn to take care of their little family. A few weeks after David's father's funeral, the doctor came to the house to check in on David's mother and sister. The doctor told David that unless he could get his mother to the country where there was plenty of fresh air, she would grow increasingly worse and may very well be gone by the winter. David tried everything he could to find a way to send his mother and sister to the country, but there was no way. He made barely enough money to provide their basic needs. There was no money to pay for them to stay in the country and no one to house them. David was brokenhearted and he felt helpless as he watched day after day as his mother grew less and less strong. One day while working at the bank, David was sweeping under a table when he found a roll of bills, a big roll, and he could see that some of them were yellowbacks. Now, at that time, yellowbacks were a type of paper currency that was redeemable for gold coin. These were, these were issued until the early 1900s and thought very valuable as they were able to be exchanged into precious metal on demand. David scooped up the bills and started to head for the office of the bank president when he suddenly hesitated, realizing that this 
this money, what this money would mean. Just think, he thought, of what these bills will do. They can send mother and Millie away for the whole summer, and then they will be well. No one knows I have them, and they don't even belong to the bank. They were on the floor with trash paper. I'm going to keep them. Finding is keeping, and they are mine. So David dropped the wad of bills into his front pocket, then his back pocket, then shifted them into his coat pocket. He felt sure that everyone could see them as he left the bank, but no one stopped him. All the way home, he fingered the bills in his pocket, taking his hand in and out of the pocket and shifting the bills inside. When he arrived home, he checked on his mother and sister and then walked to the cupboard in the hallway, opened the front drawer and dropped the bills inside, closed the drawer with a hard thud. An hour later, David walked into the bank and shuffled quickly through the front room, making his way to the office of the bank president. Entering the office, he threw the bills on the desk and whispered, I found these when I swept and started to walk out. Um, and with a cry of pain, he fled from the bank. The next morning, David was back at the bank to do his work when he was called into the bank president's office. When David entered the room, the bank president looked up from his desk and spoke. David, he said, I wish you would tell me why you brought those bills back last night. I know why you wanted them and what they would have done for you and your family. No one knew you had them. Why did you bring them back? David leaned far over the desk and looked right into the eyes of the president of the bank. Sir, he said, as long as I live, I have to live with myself and I don't want to live with a thief. A few days later, the mother and Millie went to the country, but not alone. David went with them and they spent the whole summer in the countryside, a gift from the bank to show their deep, deep appreciation for the nobility of a boy. This book, Our Home, is one of my favorite books, again, written in that golden age of literature by C.E. Sargent. There's two of them, Our Home and Our Home Too. Parents, he said, your child is bland paper on which is to be written the record of your own lives. The record of your own lives. Be careful then what you allow to be written there for the world will read it. So some things for this week's presentation. Um, I'd love for you to read Family. It's about time to get some ideas of things that you can do with your children and grandchildren this week. Uh, do with your husband. I, I mean, we need to nurture them and love on them too. They need us. Visit Nicolene Peck's YouTube channel and check out all of her awesome, awesome videos. Pick up a copy of the Table Talk Sampler from our online store at momsamerica.us. And I think we actually have it available in a PDF download as well. It's just 31 days to get started. And you can come up with your own ideas um, for stories and quotes and questions afterwards. And we also have a section in the book where it gives some of those ideas of resources that we recommend to carry on um, the, the tradition. Next week's presentation, the wheat and the shaft. And all I'm going to ask you to do is read 5,000 Year Leap Part 1, which is pages 7 to 33 and the wheat and the shaft is all about the the constitution what it is why we need it how it's been obstructed and how we restore it protect it preserve it because that's what we're all we're all asked to do 
So that is the presentation for this week. I appreciate you all coming. Mm -hmm.